0: Welcome back. glad to have you all back with us. Hope you had a great break. And uh, we know you're not probably prepared emotionally to go back to school, but uh, we are glad to have you all back with us. Uh, We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2 uh, verses 20 through 26. So if you have a Bible, open up there. If you don't, there are some that were on the center aisle that may be kind of scattered throughout the aisles. And feel free to use one of those. And if you need a Bible, you can take that with you. That's our gift to you. If you Need an extra Bible? Uh, while you are turning to Second Timothy, uh, I just want to give you guys an idea of what we're going to be doing this semester in here, where we're going to be heading. Uh, we're going to do a series. We're just calling it Tough Questions. Uh, what we're going to do over the course of the semester is we're going to survey some of the difficult theological, moral, social questions that are connected to the Christian faith. Uh, questions like, uh, Do I choose God? Did God choose me? Uh, Questions that relate to personal morality, issues of uh, sexuality, issues of can I be rich and yet still be pleasing to God? Uh, We'll talk about social issues like abortion or euthanasia, things along those lines. So we're going to kind of have a medley of a bunch of different difficult questions that we're going to talk about. And the goal is we want to begin to think, how can we arrange all of our life and all of these questions and all of these tough things, how can we place them under the authority of the Word of God and see what God would have to say as, as we seek to answer these questions. So that's where we're going to go. This morning we're just going to be in Second Timothy as we kind of kick off the semester. So let's start there, Second Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20. The Apostle Paul writes this, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have this morning to worship you. God, as I think about the hymn we just sang We pray that you would be our vision, that you would be the Lord of our heart, God, that there would be nothing else that we would seek after or pursue as the central purpose of our life other than knowing you and your son, Jesus Christ, and proclaiming him to the world. God, we've had a vivid reminder this week of the fact that life is fragile, life is short, but that you are in control. You control lives, and you control nations, and you control nature. So God, we pray that with the time we have, whether we have 60 years or whether we have 60 minutes, let's use this time to be a vessel for the glory of God. God, we pray as we study your word this morning, help us to understand what it has to say. Pray that we would believe it. through the power of your spirit who lives within us, I pray that we would obey it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've had a great time talking to some of you about your break, uh, where you went, what you did. I know some of you went on mission trips. Some of you just went home. Some of you stayed here. Some of you went on vacation. Uh, My wife and I had a a great break. We got to see some family, but we also actually added to our family. Uh, We had a, a son, our third child, our first son, on uh, January 6th, uh, about a week and a half ago. So uh, here's a little, here's a picture of him. Uh, his name is, thanks, I think he's cute too. His name is uh, Samuel Robert Morton, and uh, he weighed in at nine pounds, 12 ounces. Uh, so he he tipped the scales. I'll tell you guys, all of our kids have been big babies. He actually was not the biggest one. Our My oldest daughter was 10 pounds, nine ounces uh, when she was born. And so uh, I don't know why, but I take a certain degree of pride in that. Like my <laughs> Like my kid could take all the other kids in the nursery or something like that, you know, and so I, I kind of, I don't know, I don't know why, but anyway, uh, he's, he's doing great, he's healthy, but I'll tell you guys, we actually had kind of a rough start uh, with him. Some of y'all that I know, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but when he was born, uh, he did not immediately respond the way that newborns are supposed to. For those of you that may have studied biomedical science or anything like that, you know that they give a newborn... Uh, what they call an APGAR score, based you know, from 0 to 10, and it rates their reflexes, their breathing, all those sort of things. Above 7 is considered pretty good. Uh, this little guy was at a 3, unfortunately, when he was born. He wasn't really breathing. He was blue. He wasn't doing well at all. And uh, so we had some scary moments in the delivery room with him, and uh, quickly they managed to get a doctor in there, a neonatologist who was specialized in uh, taking care of difficult or sick Little babies, they got him on some oxygen, they got some fluids in him, they got him down to the NICU, and he spent about six days in the neonatal ICU unit just recovering and getting better. And, and as I thought about it, I thought, you know, it, it's really made me uh, the last couple of weeks think deeply, I think, about the concept that, first of all, God is sovereign over life, that He's in control of life. Um, why is it that? There just happened to be this skilled doctor right outside the door in the hallway at the time that he was needed? I'm not sure. It's made me grateful for the fact that we have the technology available to to save a child like this where 30, 40 years ago he probably would have died in the delivery room. It would have been a tragedy. You know, But as I've thought about it, I've thought, you know I'm grateful for these men and women. I'm grateful for these doctors. And some of you perhaps hope to be a doctor someday. You're aspiring to that. And what I love about it is these men and women have devoted their lives to the saving of other lives. So that when they're called and somebody is in distress, they come and they use the resources and the tools and the technology and the skills at their disposal to save that little life. And as I thought about it, it made me realize that there are men and women who devote themselves to saving physical life, right? And yet the reality is that uh, sooner or later, all of us are going to die anyway. I pray that my boy lives for 80, 90, 100 years. I pray that I see his kids grow up and have their own kids. But eventually, like all of us, he's going to die. So as I thought about that, I thought really the bigger question that we have to face is what kind of life do each of us have in eternity? And not only that, but if we know Jesus Christ and we look around us and we see men and women who are dying, not physically, but they're dying spiritually, they're dying in a much worse way than somebody who's dying physically. They're dying in a way that is eternal. If we have the message and the resources and the skill and the tools through the Holy Spirit to reach out into their hearts and into their lives and into their experience and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and participate in saving them from eternal death. Why would we not come when we're needed? It would be offensive to you if you were in the hospital and you were in desperate shape and you needed help and they called the doctor and he was down the hall, but he was finishing his favorite episode of House would be offensive to you. Yet I think often, if you're like me, I I look around me and I see men and women that they're dying. Apart from Jesus Christ's intervention, they will spend an eternity apart from him. And yet I'm, I'm busy. There's other things I'd rather do than engage in sharing Jesus Christ with those who desperately need it. Than engage in knowing Jesus Christ so that I'm ready and available when he calls. Last words that Jesus gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. If you've been here for long, you've heard us talk about this multiple times. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, as he is leaving, the last words he says, is he says, go forth and proclaim the message that I have died, I have risen again, I have defeated death, I have defeated sin, and all who believe in me will have eternal life and teach them everything I've commanded throughout all the world. That is what you are here to do. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, that is your purpose, to participate with God in the saving of lives. That's why you and I are here. That's why we exist. And I don't know where all of you are, where you're starting the semester. Some of you, it may be this is really the first time you've pondered this kind of a concept. It may be that you don't yet even have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And what you need to know first and foremost is that uh, all of us have sinned. All of us have disobeyed God. And as a result, we deserve eternal punishment. Separation from God in hell. Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, died on our behalf. God gave his son on our behalf who died and rose again. And if we believe in him, we can have eternal life. Maybe that you're sitting here and you know that, but you're starting the semester and your mind is distracted. You've got a lot of things going on. You've got 15 hours of class. Maybe you're dating or you're trying to date or you're hoping to date or you're praying for a date or something along those lines, right? And your mind is distracted. Maybe it is you just say, I just want to get through. I've got one more semester and then I'm out of here. Maybe it is you're just beginning and you say, how am I going to make it through three more years? What's my future going to look like? And you've got many things that you're thinking about and focusing on. Maybe it is you just want to have fun. And so you've centered your college experience and ultimately your life, perhaps, around something other than the mission of God in Jesus Christ. A few months ago, I, I had the opportunity to speak to some college students on a retreat And I I gave a message about the Great Commission and about centering your life on knowing Jesus Christ. And then after I gave the message, they broke into smaller groups to discuss what is a practical step that I can take to know God better. Maybe I can spend some more time in prayer so that the Spirit can speak to me, or in the Word so the Spirit can speak to me. Maybe I can begin to make some changes in the kind of TV I watch, or the kind of games I play, or how much, or where I spend my time or my friends. And I sat in on one of these groups with these students, and as we began to talk, what came out of the group was, every single one of them, as they were asked, what can I do? Every single one of them said, I don't really think I can do much right now. I've got too much going on. I can't squeeze more Jesus into the schedule I've already got. What I want to challenge you guys this morning is that may be where you are, is, is your heart's immediately putting up resistance. If I begin to add more of Jesus into my life, he might take over. It might not be my own to control. And what I'm challenging you to is not to add something to your schedule. What I'm challenging you and me to this morning is to take all of our lives, all of our schedule, our classes, our relationships, our friendships, our free time, and submit it to the authority of God. Say, how would God have me use that time, that relationship, that skill to further the kingdom of Jesus Christ? We're going to look at 2 Timothy 2 for a few minutes this morning. 2 Timothy was the Apostle Paul's final book that he wrote. He wrote it to his protege, Timothy, who was uh, going to be pastoring a church. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to stay focused on the mission of Jesus Christ. Don't lose sight of why you're here. And especially, Timothy, as a young man, don't become distracted by the things of this world, by the common purposes that this world would call you to, and be focused on the mission of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at one slice of 2 Timothy this morning. What we're going to see is Paul's final plea, part of Paul's final plea to Timothy to say, Timothy, stay focused on the things of Jesus Christ. And I want you to ask as we look at it this morning, what, what am I made for? Am I fulfilling the purpose that I am made for? Why am I here? Am I here to ultimately be famous one day, to make a lot of money, to have fun, to get a date? Why am I here? What am I made for? And can I become, through the Spirit's power, the kind of person that God wants me to be for his kingdom? Here's what Paul urges us to do. First of all, he says, set yourself apart. Look again at verses 20 and 21. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He uses a real simple analogy: in a big house, you're gonna have different kinds of bowls and plates and dishes. Some of them you're gonna use for noble purposes. Some of them you'll use for shameful purposes. Right? And the ancient imagery is they would have some some dishes that were made of maybe gold or silver or some kind of metal, and they would use those for banquets and for eating fine meals. Then they had other, others that were made of wood, even others that were made of dirt that they would use for washing or bathing or perhaps even going to the bathroom, and they would take the cheap ones and they would literally toss them out when they were done. And the point is, you're not going to take the cheap, dirty one and put your filet mignon inside of it. Right? Now, gentlemen, if I were to take a poll and ask you how many of you this morning would say that you have... A set of fine china in your dorm or your apartment? Anybody? Okay, nobody wants to admit it, even if you do, right? (laughs) You probably don't, right? Because you don't need fine china. You're not going to put your Freebirds burrito, right? Pull out the porcelain plate and put it on there. None of you showed up probably this weekend with a box and said, hey, bro, we're going to have high tea. Help me take this into the apartment, right? You don't do that. You don't need it right now. But the truth is, one of these days, You might get married, and you might find yourself in a department store or some similar place, and your bride-to-be will want you to register for plates that you might use twice a year at most, right? But they're special plates, and your temptation at that moment is, is she's going to say, do you want this one? Do you like this one? Your temptation is going to say, I don't want either, right? Don't say that. What you should say, (laughs) what you should say instead is both of them are lovely. I can't even decide. You choose, right? And you're going to take them home and you're going to set them aside and you're not going to use them for the dog food. You'll use them a couple of times a year for special occasions at Christmas or an anniversary or a party or a banquet because they are set aside special for a purpose. They're not for common use. That's the imagery Paul is using. Not for everyday use. And he says, you as a believer in Jesus Christ are not for common, profane purposes. You're not here to spend your days, like most of our culture, entertaining yourself. It's the best show I can watch over and over and over and over and over again. It's the best video game that I can play for six hours a day. What's the way that I can have the most fun as I engage in sexuality with those around me? What's the way that I can make the most money? What's the way that I can make myself the most famous? You're not for common use. All you have to do is turn on the television, get on the internet, and you see a world bombarding us with saying, you should be used for common purposes to make me happy. And yet we look at the scripture and it says, no, you're set apart for a special purpose, to glorify God who gave his son, Jesus Christ. That is the meaning of holiness, by the way. When he says sanctified, he means set apart for a purpose. When we think of holiness, we often don't think that. What we think is legalism. Right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't play cards, don't gamble, whatever it may be. Right? Many of us think perhaps of uh, things like Prohibition in the early 20th century where they said, we're never going to drink any alcohol again. Here's a supposed poster from a Prohibition uh, campaign. Lips that touch liquor shall not touch ours. Now, look at these ladies for a moment. They don't look happy, do they? They don't look like they would kiss you even if you weren't drinking liquor, right? That's what we think of when we think of holiness. We think of people who are rigid and unbending and inflexible and unkind. And that's not the biblical picture of holiness. The biblical picture of holiness instead is a person who devotes his or her life To the things of God, and says, I'm going to set myself off from certain things that are immoral and wrong so that I can pursue other things that reflect Jesus Christ. So I study the Word of God instead of studying something evil on my computer, so that the Spirit of God will speak to me and fill my mind with the things of Jesus Christ. I seek to pray and fill myself with the Spirit instead of, like Ephesians 5 says, filling myself with spirits or alcohol, so that my mind is ready and clear to do the work of God. This is the difference between a person who is simply healthy for health's sake and a person who is healthy to run a marathon. Some of you have friends, perhaps, that are health freaks, and if you sit down to eat anything besides lettuce or sprouts, they will tell you how many calories, and they will suck the fun from your eating experience, right? Right? I have friends like that, and it makes me angry. I don't want to eat with them anymore, right? But there's a difference between that and a person who says, I'm going to eat good and healthy food because I want to run a marathon. And I want my body to be ready and to be in shape. And so I take in things that are good for me or because I want to live A good, long, healthy life and know my family and my kids and my grandkids and see them grow up. So I'm going to take care of myself. There is a purpose. And that's what holiness is as is defined in the scripture. It's not that I abstain from drugs and alcohol and sex and all of these things. Just so that I can look around and say, look how good I am. But it's so that I'm ready to pour myself into the things that God wants me to do. So I'm sanctified and set apart for his purposes, then I'm ready. If on a day-to-day basis I invest in knowing God, if I practice the discipline of sharing the gospel, and when that moment comes where God says, I want to use you here, sitting on the bus next to a person who is seeking to know how to have eternal life, I have the words, I have the spirit, I have the heart because I'm ready and I've been pursuing Jesus Christ. That's holiness. Again, some of you might be training to be a doctor one day, and you study every part of the human body in mind numbing detail. You memorize terms. You label every little bone. And you go, why why am I doing this? All I really want to do is work on people's eyes. Right? Why am I doing this? You're preparing for that moment when the crisis comes and you're ready so that the years of preparation in that moment pay off. That is the benefit of discipline and holiness in the Christian life. It's not so that I can say, look, I have 45-minute quiet times. I'm clearly better than you. It's so that in that moment, when God calls, I'm ready to answer. I can hear the voice of the Spirit and He empowers me to do His will. So Paul says, Timothy, set yourself apart. Don't be used for ignoble purposes. Instead, be used for noble purposes. Be a vessel for honor. Set yourself apart and seek holiness. Then he says, wholeheartedly pursue Jesus. Set yourself apart from those things that would keep you from knowing Jesus, and then you wholeheartedly pursue Jesus. Look at verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome but be kind to all able to teach patient when wronged with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Ultimately, Paul says, yes, flee these lusts, flee these things that will keep you from knowing God. But then he turns around and he says, this is what you should pursue. This is what you should seek after, righteousness, peace, love, truth. Knowing that in doing so, you are becoming a vessel of honor for Jesus Christ. So he says, wholeheartedly pursue Jesus. What he's really talking about is the imitation of Jesus Christ, that we look at Jesus' character and we say, I want to have the characteristics that are like Jesus. So why do I choose not to lie? It's because God is truthful and Jesus Christ is truthful. And when I speak the truth, I reflect my Savior. Why do I choose to reserve sexuality for a marriage relationship rather than engaging in it all over the place? Because God is faithful and God made a covenant to his people that he will keep. And when I choose to be faithful to my wife, one person for my life, I reflect the faithfulness of God to a world that is around that needs to see faithfulness. So Paul says you pursue the characteristics of Jesus Christ. You imitate Christ. If you were here before the break, I mentioned that January 10th, I think, earlier, or 8th, about a week or so ago, would have been the 75th anniversary of Elvis Presley's uh, life. He was 75 years old, where he's still alive. Uh, And a number of years ago, I I had the opportunity to go and visit Graceland, his old home in Memphis. And uh, when you go there, there's all kinds of exhibits and things like that. But one of the most interesting things about being at Graceland is the number of Elvis impersonators. Walking around. And it's it's at first kind of cool, but then it gets a little creepy, right? Because they all look kinda of like Elvis, but not really, and they're all dressed in different stages of his of his life. Some of them from when he's young, some of them when he's from old and, and, and Vegas. And they walk around and I have a picture of myself with two of these guys, one on either side, and I look at it now and I go, I don't really want to look at that picture. It kind of freaks me out. And the reason is because there's something a little sad. And a little weird about a person who devotes their life to such worshipfulness of a man who's long dead, who might not be worth the worship they're giving him. And it saddens me because we're called to worship a living, breathing, perfect Savior and imitate him. That's what Paul calls Timothy to do. So he gives him some characteristics, righteousness, that's obedience to God's standards rather than the standards of the world. That when the world pounds us with its own standards of how we ought to live, how we ought to be happy, how we ought to pursue life, we stand up and kind of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's three friends, and we say, I'm not going to bow to the idols of the world. Instead, I will pursue the values of Jesus Christ. Faith, follow God's calling wherever he asks us to go. I trust God with my career. I trust that Jesus has promised that for those sacrifices we may make for the kingdom of heaven, there are greater blessings that will come to us, maybe not in this life, but certainly in the next one. And so there is no way that we can sacrifice more than God has given us in Jesus Christ, because what God has given us in Jesus Christ is infinite, eternal life and the opportunity to serve him and praise him forever, and heavenly riches that will not fade away. And so I trust that even if I lose a friend, I trust that even if I have to give up a relationship, even if I lose money or a job or some other thing that I love. I trust that God is taking care of me. And I walk in faith. I think this is one of the biggest challenges of our generation and really of every generation who wants to follow Jesus Christ is to say, you know, I'm not going to make my decisions based upon what will be the best career for me, based upon what will give me the biggest house, based upon what will give me the happiest family. I'm going to make my decisions based upon what will glorify Jesus Christ and trust him to take care of me. If he sees every sparrow fall to the ground, he sees me, and he loves me, and he cares for me, and so I can pour my life into the pursuits of Jesus Christ, trusting him. Love, that I unselfishly seek the good of others above myself. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. I reflect the character of Jesus Christ when I seek to give up my rights for others. Peace, we get along, get along with my roommate, get along with my family. And I seek to love them as Christ loves. And then he goes on to talk about truth. don't be quarrelsome, but you do teach the truth. One of the reasons we're doing the series we're doing this semester is because our hope is that we will learn how to engage with some of these difficult and contentious issues in a way that is truthful, but also peaceful. That I will know how to speak the truth, but not speak it in a way that is obnoxious or irritating. So that the world will see the love of Jesus Christ, but also the truth of God reflected in us. And What ultimately Paul is saying is that all these characteristics are intended to cause us to imitate Jesus Christ. As he says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want to challenge all as we close. What do you need to do this semester to get to a place where you will focus on being a vessel of God in Jesus Christ? It might not mean adding something to your schedule. It might mean taking something away from your schedule. It might mean creating more space in your life so you can spend time in prayer, so you can spend time studying the Word, so you can join a Bible study when you've been saying for three semesters, I need to do that, I know it's valuable, I know it's important. And the question is, how important is it to you to walk with God? To give up one of your nights a week. To give up a few minutes each morning. For the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, and my, as I pray for you guys, one of my biggest prayers is that you will not five, ten years down the road, be clicking along in, in an average, comfortable, mediocre existence, but instead you will be passionately pursuing Jesus Christ, and that the Spirit of God will be moving through you to change the world. What do you need to do this semester to reorient your priorities so that your whole life is oriented around this? Knowing Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with a world that is dying of a disease much worse than any physical disease. What do you need to do? Uh, One of the dangers also as we leave is that you go away and you think, yeah, I need to change, I need to do that, but you make no steps. So for just a minute before we close, I want us to close our eyes. I just want you to spend a minute or two, and I want you to ask the Lord, uh, what is the concrete step that I need to take? Do I need to spend some time, carve out some time in the morning or the evening that is quiet, to spend in the Word and to read it and to know it so that God can speak to me, to pray so I can know Him? Maybe I need to join a Bible study. Maybe I need to rethink my career path. Maybe I need to pull away from some unholiness that I've been living in or seek some help. Maybe it's pornography or lust. Maybe it is greed, ambition, or dishonesty. Maybe it's just a relationship I'm in that I know is unhealthy. What is the step I need to take? I want you to commit before you leave, even if it seems small, to take one step forward in your walk with Christ so that you can become a vessel for God. Take just a moment of quiet and let's do that. God we pray that this would be just the beginning of the process you have for us of transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ pray that each of us myself included would take the step that we've quietly just now committed to take or nobody else knows what we've said to you I do pray that we would seek accountability for those things but in this moment Lord I pray that we would seek to know you and do what it takes to know you. Lord, I pray uh, for any in here who don't know Jesus Christ. that Today, they would trust in Jesus for eternal life. Pray for those of us who know him. Make us faithful not to look around, see men and women who are dying, and finish our Nintendo game or TV show but let us engage, bring the life and the truth of Jesus Christ to the world around us. God, we love you. We pray as we begin this semester, bless our efforts to serve you, make us faithful and effective for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you all next week.